Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. And greetings, gardening family. We always look forward to chatting with you every week. And the team is here, Bev Daring, John Glidden. The lines are open. You can email us. Reach us any which way you like. And a big shout out to the dynamic duo, Chris Bartlett and Mark Carlton. They always set the pace on a Saturday morning and our cycling DJ, Jim Crinan, wrapped up the breakfast program with his cycling update just now. And Jim returns at 10am with the classic 70s for you. And today's program, Let's Talk Gardening, is sponsored by Garden in a Bag. Free delivery when buying six bags or more. Faye Akaro, good morning. Good morning, Ray. Bit nippy out there today, isn't it? I hadn't noticed. Do you think so? <laughs> it was, yes. Oh, I'm just sitting here with a t-shirt on and uh, you haven't got much more on. You've just got a very light sleeve on. I love these uh, warm days and cooler nights. It's perfect. It, I could, it this is how it should be all year round for me. Well, the days have been glorious, Absolutely. great for gardening, yeah. sun shining, not too warm, but just enough to get those plants growing. It's the best season of the year. And the yeah, weeds, for of me. course. Yeah, they, they're getting going. Was you, what do you say, going for gold? Yes, they <laughs> I like are. that terminology. Yeah, got to keep an eye on those. Now, today we're chatting, we have a guest in the studio. We have the Mothman coming in, and that's uh, a subject close to Faya Caro's heart. So we got... <laughs> Uh, beautiful man, Paul Kay, joining us from 8.40 through to 10am and for the love of caterpillars and moths. Not everyone loves them. We'll learn now, learn why we should. And Liz Atkins, we're chatting to her at 20 past 8. We're talking seaweed from, Liz is from Seaperia Seaweed Enterprises and they're based up there in Atherton. And uh, I, I do know a little bit of the tablelands and it's the most glorious country up there. Queensland, uh, of yeah, course, for yeah. those that don't know. Yes, and we're learning a little bit about the science of seaweed and the benefits to plants, people and animals, of course. And uh, she's got some free samples to give away, but uh, their product's just a little bit different. And I do use it. And uh, that is why I thought this would be someone really good to uh, speak to and I was introduced to it through someone and on and on it goes and I don't think it's widely known of really and uh, it is fabulous absolutely fabulous so yeah what have you been up to oh a spot of gardening here and there shuffling the plants around and shuffling yes <laughs> and going through through gardens that I uh, topped up with my planting last year and you know I've talked before about the heroes in the garden yeah. so I planted some alstromerias and some cordylines. And then I planted some little fillers like the plectranthus, lamium, and a purple trade scantia. But a couple of them take over and yeah. they, they sort of smother Run the other plants. Yeah. So I've done a, a bit of a cull there and moved more plants around, Ray. But, you know, when you're setting up a garden, filling up spaces so it looks full quickly is good, but then to revisit a year on and just check how things are going and tweak them. 
you know, I'm just cutting the brown leaves. I'm looking at the bulbs that are appearing. Mm. The autumn bulbs are popping up. What have some you got of the aroids. autumn bulbs? Uh, oh, what's out there at the moment? The nereens have burst mm. into flower. Mm. The nereens that were in a pot dumped on my verge many years ago with an ugly dietes. Someone didn't want it. So they it just was, threw it on Faircaro's verge. Yeah, How amazing. it's a big verge. Yeah. And uh, so they, we they often just, get stuff they were dumped. dumping, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a nice surprise when I found these big bulbs and then I, I potted them and I waited and I got these gorgeous pink blooms. And I've also potted up a lot of bulbs that I'd bought in other years and I've added annual colours. So I've used up my little troughs. Uh, I've got the grape hyacinths, some miniature daffodils, some of the zephyrantes, the rain uh, crocus or rain lilies. Oh, I like crocus. Uh, yeah. oh, and lacanalias. They're starting yeah, to pop up. They're beautiful as well. Oh, there's just so much, you know. I just yeah. want it all. Yeah. But I've combined it with some lobelias. I've added some cornflowers, some stocks. Well, yeah, uh, well, some Allison. of them come up more spring than... Oh, well, they're, well, they'll just hang in there until they do their yeah, thing. Yeah, you just got them in the ground ready to go. Uh, in pots. Oh, in pots. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Cornflowers are one of my absolute all-time oh, favourites. I know. Yeah. And, you know, even the but roses are doing well at the moment after I trimmed them back and gave them a feed a, a month or so ago. I'm noticing some beautiful second uh, autumn flushes out there mm. and uh, people seem to be getting on top of this chilli thrip thing to a degree and uh, enjoying their roses. Yeah, certainly in my bird when I'm walking around, I see things and observe, you know, because I know a few years ago that bird where I am was really badly hit and now I see roses bouncing back and I saw Pierre de Ronsard um, and they don't flower profusely. They have several flowering flushes. Yeah, and I um, saw one yesterday and I thought, wow, you look absolutely amazing mm. and uh, I'm pleased for people. Yeah, I know it's still out there and I know it's still a problem, mm. but we are managing it and I know people... Want to, want to pull out their roses because they uh, feel they're not on top of it, but you can manage it. You can manage it. Mm. And uh, it's such a shame to see the roses ripped out. Well, I saw some but last I understand night, actually, where, where we went, and the roses themselves from a distance looked fantastic. They were strong and they yeah. were tall and good buds on them. But when you looked at the foliage, you could see that it was definitely uh, deformed and quite small. Mm. And I I just suggested that now that they've flowered, give them a cut back mm. and that I'm sure that they'll come back and perhaps get another flush get another before, winter. before winter yeah. sets in. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And I think too with the chilli thrip, I feel that some varieties are more susceptible oh, than others. I totally agree. Some roses, mm. you know, just kick it off and others succumb. Well, yeah. here I've got this iceberg ray. Mm. Uh, it's... Just a, a stem that I cut this morning before I left home. And, Beautiful. you know, they they just power ahead. And I've also had the signs of the leaf cutter bees. So that's one reason that I specifically will not spray my roses. Yeah. Because the bees use the leaves. Yeah. Certain bees will use the leaves, cut out a little hole and use it for their nests. Mm. So... But, you know, the blooms on this look quite acceptable. The foliage is looking okay. There, yeah. look, there's a, yeah, yeah. a, a cutout. A big chunk missing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I noticed actually my hibiscus, it's about three metres tall, full full of bloom, mm. but really hit with aphids at the moment. And you know what? In the scheme of things, it's not going to hurt that plant, 
but what it will do is bring in the beneficial insects and give them a home. I know there have been ladybirds on there, so they'll be breeding up, as will the hoverflies, the lacewing larva. Mm. So there's lots of good guys, and, and this plant will be a real bank plant to well, bring in the, the good guys. A standard Mandevilla. Mm. I, I don't. I, I think the proper name begins with D. Can't get it out. Diplodenia. Something like that. Thank you. Um, they have a aphid on them at the moment, and I've seen this before on the on the Mandevillas. Bright yellow. That is the milkweed aphid, right. and that will also be on Hoyas or some of the Hoyas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asclepias, which is the milkweed, which is also the food plant for the monarch butterflies, mm. and and a lot of um, plants that have a milky sap. You may even see it possibly on frangipanis. I was just thinking that. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it's covered in that. So just leave it. I. I would, Ray, mm. you know, particularly if the plant is is big and, you know, go and inspect it. Get your magnifying glass and have a look under the leaves. You may just find some ladybird eggs because mm. once you've got aphids, you've got there's a food supply for ladybirds. some of the beneficial predators. Yeah, there's definitely ladybirds in the mm. garden. Uh, absolutely. I was chopping back the other night some of my yarrow and uh, it was sitting they were in amongst all of that yeah so yeah it's all happening it doesn't worry me I yeah just noticed mm. it the other day and thought ah yes but the mandevillas sort of getting ready to to go to sleep a little bit over winter anyway and so. this is exactly what happened like mm. I learned about ladybirds many many years ago when my plants were you know part of they I had a lot of um violas and pansies Mm. under Mm. roses and of course when they started to go off they just got infested with ladybirds and that's when uh, well with aphids and that's when the ladybirds really kicked in Mm. and you know I began to realize that it's just part of the cycle you know nature starts breaking things down Uh, fungus sets in some of the mildews take mm. over and mm. it's a way of nutrient recycling. Yeah. Going back to the earth, it's just we come in and we go, oh, that looks a bit daggy. Mm. Oh, we need to interfere. But no. in fact, if we didn't, if we just left it, uh, much better, more natural things can happen. And I notice there's these beautiful dahlias in the nurseries at the moment. Have you seen those ones? Well, I have a dahlia flowering in my garden mm, yeah, at the moment. Oh, they're yeah. just such an old-fashioned treat, aren't they? They are, and they're absolutely stunning. Yeah, so there's some, some beauties out there. Very, very tempting. I actually have a vase on my bench that is full with about a dozen different ones that April brought me from all her bushes the other oh, day. Oh, my word. Okay. Yes, very spoiled. You can't beat picking flowers, can you? No, no, no. It's it's the absolute best. So much joy to be had. 94841927 is our number and you can also email us at gardening at Curtin FM as well. We will be chatting very soon to Liz Atkins from C. Perrier at 20 past eight. We've got our normal giveaways to uh, gift to you today. Our John's quizzes. We have the Green Life Soil Co. 75 dollars dollar voucher and the bigger trees 75 dollar voucher as well and we've got some giveaways from liz atkins from c perrier today we'll learn more about that when we're chatting with her and we do have a great prize coming up i think we'll offer it next week where you can win uh to go along to meet costa and he will be in perth uh in in association in association with the calamunda 
Gardens Festival and uh, you can choose and go and listen to one of his chats, can't you? And mm, get to Growing meet. with Costa. Yeah, there's a couple of options you can choose from and you will win tickets to that and uh, have the opportunity to have your photo taken with Costa. And that's thanking that to Andrew uh, and his wife's name is... Mandy. Mandy, yeah. that's So right. that's coming up uh, the 13th of May. 13th And of we May. also have the... Perth Garden Festival that kicking off on the 11th of May. Yeah, there's a lot coming up in May. We've got open gardens happening. Yep, yeah. three open gardens in the next uh, three weeks. So yes, lots to talk about. Things We've are also starting got, to ramp. Mm, yes, a couple of uh, open days with the Wildflower Society. Yes, orchids. Yes, and bonsai. Yes. So. Lots of events on the gardening calendar. And our rainfall so far in April, 30.2 mils. Okay, so we're sitting at 32 point mils so far for April and looks like we're going to add to that next week. Bit of water Monday, around. I but don't you feel this like, I, I just love autumn, but you have these beautiful days like today and then the rain comes and then you get some beautiful weather. It, the garden just absolutely... Can we please have that rain at night? So, <laughs> so we can get our work done during <laughs> yes. the day. Yeah, yes. exactly. So it's been absolutely superb. Okay. Now, do we have emails that we would like to We do. We have an through. email from Evelyn and she sent in a photo of, well, what she says is, could you please advise what this plant is? It was a gift. As far as I know, a plant from Singapore and flowers at night. And it, it's a pot... Um, it have to be honest, it almost gives me nightmares because I had one of these pots and it kept falling over and the plant mm. was looking daggy. Mm. It's the night flowering or moon cactus. And I think people either love it or hate it. Yeah. When it flowers, it just produces a multitude of blooms that open only at night, mm. often quite late at night. Mm. If you're not there or if you've gone to sleep, you miss too it. Bad. By the next morning, too it's sad, quite withered. Yep. Um, it, it isn't particularly suited to a pot. It looks gangly. It grows yeah. tall. It's weighted on the ends. It wants to fall over. Either you've really got to have a substantial pot, but really this plant is an epiphyte. And it doesn't need a lot of root room. It is one of those plants that would quite happily hang in a tree. Perfect for a hanging basket. Perfect for hanging. And yeah, give it plenty of room. Yeah. And of course, this week I've also been tending to my fern cactus, mm. uh, which the uh, leaves are about a metre long. And it it is another one of the epiphytic cactus. Mm. So one of the many. I mean... Just such a range of different plants out there that we kind of don't pay much attention to until they bloom and then they're all the rage, aren't mm, they? And, mm. of course, at the moment, the zygote cactus are coming into bloom, mm. so time to give them a bit of love. Mm. Get them out, give them sun, turn them regularly and give them a bit of food. And enjoy those flowers, mm. which are absolutely stunning. And they don't last long, do they? So no. bring them out, give them prime position and then tuck them away the again. Most of them. But they're easy to propagate too. Yeah, of course. Yes, okay. 94841927. We shall return. Curtain Radio. You're with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening. And as discussed earlier, we are going to be chatting with C. Perrier this morning. We're chatting to Liz Atkins. Liz, good morning. You're with Ray and Faye. How are you? 
Good morning, Ryan Faye, and good morning, Perth. I'm fantastic. How are you? <laughs> Very good, thank you. What's the weather like up in your neck of the woods? Um, it's a little bit sunny and a little bit drizzly. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're it's in Atherton, aren't cool. you? Sorry. I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're up on the up on the tableland, so we're tropical but cool tropical. You have the best soil up there I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we do. We're very lucky. We have beautiful deep red soil. Oh, so, you could eat it. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a food bowl up here. It, it really is. And tell us about Seaperia. As you know, I, I contacted you, Liz, because I was introduced to the product uh, through a friend and I'm so impressed with it, absolutely impressed, and thought That's this needs to be talked about, this needs to be... Uh, introduced to people here in Perth. I'm sure there's people in Perth obviously very, very aware of your product. Um, but tell us a little bit of the background of Seaperia, how it all came to be. Okay. Um, so it actually um, was started by my dad many, many um, years ago. My dad my dad just about to turn 84, yeah. um, but he's always been into organics. Mm. Um when I was when I was very young, I always remember my dad having giant forty four gallon drums of cow poo tea going, and um, I always remember him digging in the soil and looking at the soil and the worms and having a big compost heap. And um, he he'd actually been taught by his dad, who was an English horticulturalist. Uh, um, and he. Mm. So he was actually introduced to seaweed by a farmer and that was way back in 1974. And he, at the time, he saw the results that the farmer was getting Mm. um, and he was taken straight away because he saw that here was a natural, completely natural organic product that was making a really big difference to what they were growing. Um, So he picked it up and ran with it he by by the 1980s he started selling it and um through the 1980s he was actually the largest seller of dry seaweed granules in australia Mm. granules Um, so yeah so so the one that we sell is granules it's quite different to the average seaweed product um, on the market that a lot of people think about that they buy Mm. in a bottle from the hardware store or from the supermarket, Mm. which is a liquid. Um, So the one that we sell is dry, pure seaweed dry granules. Um, Yeah, so, so so we got going really because my dad actually had retired um, a few years ago, I moved back to the tablelands. I'd had my big corporate career and moved away, as you do. And I, and I um, moved back home again. And I was kind of a bit bored. And my dad, I kept going over to Mum's dad's and visiting them. And Dad would keep saying, "Someone rang me up about the seaweed the other day." And of course, he was retired, but people still knew him as the seaweed man. Yeah. <laughs> and people were ringing him up about seaweed. And the phone calls were becoming more and more because, of course, these days people are really moving away from all of the chemical things. People are looking for something that's organic, that really works. 
And, um, and so that was how we we just decided to, you know, one day I said, Dad, what are we doing? Let, we should be doing this again. Let's give the seaweed another go. So, so we did. And where do you source the seaweed from? So our seaweed actually comes from Norway. Hmm. It's a very particular species. The thing with seaweed um, and one of the things that we'll talk about in a minute is some of the things that are in seaweed. Um, But the thing with seaweed is that the best seaweed grows in the coldest waters. And, you know, we do have, okay, we have um, seaweed in Australia. We have seaweed, particularly the um, Tasmanian bull kelp that they harvest off the beach so they're not actually allowed to harvest it but they do pick it up off the beach and they make seaweed fertilizer and stuff out of it and it's pretty good but the thing with Tasmania is that compared to places like Norway Tasmania is actually quite warm yeah you know Norway is such a cold place the ocean is absolutely freezing and then scientists think that it's those incredibly harsh conditions that make the seaweed that comes from there particularly good. Yeah. So how how do you get it here? Does it come as seaweed? It comes as dry granules. So in Norway they harvest it. They're allowed to harvest it in Norway. They have um, they have a long history of um, seaweed harvesting. The company that we buy from has been doing it for more than 80 years. It's a huge industry in Norway. They have a massive coastline. They have incredible quantities of seaweed. Um, and it's very, it's actually important to the country's economy and it's very closely regulated by the government. Um, so it's very environmental. It's very sustainable. Um, it's typical Norway. You know, we do, we all know that Norway is a very progressive environmental sustainable country um and um yeah so so what are the benefits then yes the difference between say the product that you bring in from norway and the local seaweed products that people use on their gardens what is the difference okay so um the one that we sell is granules yeah it it comes dry it has no water in it the ones uh, the liquid products that you buy are only actually 20% seaweed at the most. Hmm. So we know that because you literally cannot mix seaweed at more than 20%. So you're, if you're buying a bottle of liquid seaweed, then you're buying 80% water and 20% actual hmm. seaweed. Yeah. And so when so, you mix uh, Cperia, you get the granules yes. and you dilute it with water. What it, is that the same deal? Is it 80%? You do. So it's, no, Cperia is super concentrated. So you only actually use a level teaspoon in a 10 litre of water. So mm. in a 10 litre watering can or you can, I've got a little 5 litre um, pump up pressure sprayer that I use. So um, you so I only use half a teaspoon in that, yeah. and when you actually put it in the water, it's quite incredible how black yeah. the water instantly it goes. goes. Yeah. So it's incredibly soluble. It dissolves down to absolutely nothing. It's completely liquid. 
Um, there's no residue in it, but the water goes completely and absolutely black. So is it a higher ratio of seaweed in your product when you actually dilute it? Is it is it more con- – it's because it's concentrated? Yeah. Yeah, so they do actually, the way that they process it in Norway, they actually take um, all of the liquid and all of the fibre out of it and all that you're left with is the super concentrated, basically the goodness out of the seaweed. And when I've had it in my hand, I can feel that. I can see it and I can feel it. It's different. You can feel it, can't you? I know. Truly. It actually feels a bit slimy it's quite it's and if you put it in put your hand in the water once you've diluted it you can feel it as well you can it's quite strange but the you know that sliminess is actually good it's actually good stuff it's called alginate so seaweed has this stuff called alginate um and what it does is it helps all the goodies when you spray your plants it actually sticks to the leaf so it so it helps all the goodness stick onto the leaf, and the leaf is where you want it. Because uh, Liz, you is... were saying that a lot of people put seaweed in on their plants and around their plants and into the soil, and it should actually be oh, sprayed on the as a foliar spray. That's right, because if you spray um, on the leaf, the goodness goes instantly into the leaf and into the plant. Scientists have found that within 30 minutes, they found specific substances in seaweed have moved from the leaf down into the roots of the plant. So that's how quickly it works. If you put things that you put on the soil take time to work. They actually have to go through the soil. They have to go through the um, microbes into the roots and up into the plant and that really takes time um, and it also depends on how healthy your soil is how much actually goodness you're getting out of whatever you're putting on the roots of your plant I imagine by spraying it it like five litres would go a lot further than yeah. if you were watering it in as well mm. oh absolutely yeah, it does. It's quite incredible. Um, the thing that they say with seaweed is is um, spray less more often. So you're better off spraying, um, you know, using less seaweed. So don't ever think I'll put two or three spoons full in this, in this sprayer. Guilty, guilty as charged. Spray. I'll yeah. wait after spray for a couple of months. <laughs> you're always better off doing a le- one level teaspoon and doing it every week or every two weeks. Hear you. Okay. And how often? Oh, yeah. every two two weeks or so. Okay. Yeah, it depends on what you're growing. So if you're growing um, really fast things like like leafy greens, things like that, then you would probably spray them every week or two. If you've got fruit trees, um, you would spray them two or three times over a season. So probably once in um, spring and again in summer and again as the fruit is really coming on. Mm. And that's all they would need in conjunction with other fertilisers or not? Yes, so in conjunction with other fertilisers. The other thing that you need to understand with seaweed is that it's not fertiliser. It's an addition to fertiliser. Um, it doesn't have, so when we think of fertiliser, we think of NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, which are, you know, we all know they're the big ones that plants 
really need. And yes, seaweed has a little bit of that, but you can't just use seaweed on its own. You still need your fish emulsion or your blood and bone or, you know, compost mm. manure, whatever whatever other goodies you're using. You still need that as well. But But what the seaweed has is it has 60 trace elements, which are all things that plants need in tiny amounts, but they're all absolutely essential to plants. Mm. And then the other thing it has is natural growth hormones. So these are things um, like cytokinins, gibberellins, there's a whole spectrum of them. And basically what they do is they are already in your plants, but seaweed has them in abundance. And they actually trigger the cells to do things. So they tell the cells to grow. They tell the cells to grow into a leaf or to grow into a root or to um, make fruit or to make a flower. They, they trigger the cells to actually do things. So it's that combination. This is what makes seaweed so fantastic. It's that combination of all of these incredible trace elements that that um, plants need plus it's got these hormones that literally make your plants grow and so it's also great for people and for animals i read on your website it is yeah yeah so so the incredible thing with seaweed is that it actually has the same effect on all cells and it doesn't matter if they're plant cells or animal cells, it actually strengthens cells. Mm. So it strengthens the, the cell wall. So it, it helps with immunity and it does that in plants. So it stops your plants getting diseases. It makes them more immune to um, fight off fungals and pests and different things. Mm. Um, but it also does the same thing for animals. I did read we, that it could could prevent bad breath (laughs) really it does it does so so we actually sell a lot to um dog owners lots and lots of people of course have trouble with you know your dog breathes on you and they've got really bad breath we all know what that's like um but it what it does is it actually helps their gut health Mm. and that is what helps the bad breath and, and we've had so many people to, um, write to us and thank us. <laughs> so <laughs> thank it's you. very good for the, the, the gut. It's and, very good. Yeah, okay. And, of course, you might have heard about um, the methane. You know, they, they, there's this thing these days where they're feeding seaweed to cattle to stop them birthing methane, which is a greenhouse gas. Yeah. Um, and and it's that, just the same thing. It helps their gut. Mm. And and when they've got, got good gut health, then that stops them from birthing methane. Oh, does that work on and dogs as well? Because <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm on dogs as well. Ah, and, so, am I allowed to say farts? Yeah, farts. Why not? <laughs> oh, I can it's think real. of a couple oh, of dogs that could do with this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a few people we know as well. <laughs> and, well, I was just going to say, you know, it has the same effect on people because after all, we're just animals, like everything yeah, else. This is true. So, is it the same product, Liz? Like the one that we put in the watering can? Do we put a little bit in a glass of water? Um, you can actually put put it in their drinking bowl. We do sell a dry one. It's a dry meal. It's just pure dried seaweed. 
and you can add it to your dog's food. It's easy. They only need, depending on the size of the dog, they only need kind of a pinch up to a half a teaspoon. Um, and you just add it to their food every day. And it does the job. <laughs> and a special ingredient uh, that this seaweed is, well, what this seaweed is called, you have to help me out here, Ascophyllum nodosum? Ascophyllum nodosum. Nodosum. Yes. Ascophyllum nodosum, very particular seaweed. And this is the one that scientists have um, proven that helps with dogs' bad breath. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, okay. it actually helps their, it helps their teeth as well. So it stops them getting plaque. Because of course, a lot of dogs, dogs get plaque. Yeah, breath comes from. Yeah, okay. That's really interesting. We, we, we like yeah. that as well. And I noticed you were saying it's uh, excellent for our birds and bees. Is that because our plants are healthier and that therefore our bees benefit from healthier plants? How does that work? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so it, it it kind of becomes part of the environment. When you use it all the time, it becomes part of your mm. healthy environment mm. that you've got going Creating. in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. And it do, it literally does go through the plants into the insects and the um, you know, all those beneficial things, all your birds and they actually do benefit from it. The other amazing thing with seaweed is that what it does for particularly as we're going into like broccoli and cabbage season, mm. it actually raises, so those um, natural hormones that I was talking about before, what they do is they raise the sugar level in the leaf of the plant. And when you've got higher sugar levels in your leaves of your plants, insects won't eat them. They actually literally can't eat them and they can't digest them. I've heard this before. And mm. so, yeah, so um, so if you can raise the sugar levels in your leaf of your plants, it'll stop the grubs from eating your broccoli and your cabbages. So one more reason um, to be applying seaweed. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Liz, yeah. Um, if people, what's your email, what's your website? Address. Our website is superior.com. S E A P E R I A. Dot com. Too easy. Now, yep. you're saying um, to Faye that you had some free samples you could give away to some of our listeners? We sure do. Okay, yes, how can we do that? Can we send you the uh, the listeners' names and you on send them that obviously come yes. to Perth? Uh, is that, that is would... that doable? Yes, definitely. And how, how many samples can that. we give away, love? As many as you would like, we are happy to send. Oh. <laughs> our, our producer oh, out there. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. We'll let you know what damage we get up to over here. <laughs> all right. Lucky. Look, thank you very, very okay. much for chatting with us this morning, Liz. We wish you all the best going forward. And, yeah, thank you. And, uh, yeah, if listeners would like to learn more, cperia.com and cperia is spelt. S-E-A-P-E-R-I-A, superior.com. That was a delightful chat. Thank you. That's terrific. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye. Okay. And that was Liz Atkins from C. Perrier. Curtain Radio in Perth. Yo.
with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening, and we've been joined in the studio by Paul Kay, the Mothman. Good day, Paul. How are you? Come nice and close to the microphone. I'm good, thanks. Thank yep. you for trekking in. We will get to you very soon. We've just got a couple of calls that we'd like to answer, and we will also be talking as the morning progresses. We'll be talking about moths, and you brought in this most amazing display of moths <laughs> that are actually out and about now. Yes, they're moths. huge, Massive. and they're fluffy and beautiful. Yep. <laughs> All right, we're in Dianella. Caroline, good morning. Uh, morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, I was just ringing about, I said to you, all the leaves fell off my lemon tree, my little tiny lemon tree that I got. Yeah. Um, and I, I couldn't work out what it was, but I, it had like all these striations all up and down the um, stems. The entire thing were full of these striations. And when I looked on the lime tree, it was full of gall. Yeah. There must have been about 15 of them. Yeah. And this entire lemon tree was just one big gall. Yeah. It oh, just dear. went bang, bang, bang all the way down the stem. That's what it turned out to be. Oh, gosh. Who would have mm. thought that? So, of course, when they the galls get inside the stem, it compromises the ability of the plant to, to function. And mm. that obviously resulted then in the leaf drop. Oh, yeah, I pulled it all out and chopped it up and solarized it, like putting in a bag to solarize, like you suggested. But it, this poor little tree, even the lime tree, it was still going along, and it had these twenty galls on it. And I thought, I can't cut it back. It was only about two foot high. Mm. This is the thing. Yeah, Caroline, I'm hearing of people pulling out their fruit trees, literally, in these areas. You're in Dianella, you know, Bayswater yeah. is an epicenter, and I'm around those suburbs as well. I had gall wasp last year. Um, Maylands is impacted. All that uh, area, it just seems to be, uh, obviously, Mount Lawley, I think, would be in there. And, uh, you know, yeah. Morley, all through, for some reason, is really, really bad. And I certainly also see deep herd very heavily in the Bayswater area. I saw them this week, and there's just car after car after car of deep herd. They're really onto things at the moment. I think that's more associated with the Mediterranean fruit Queensland. fly. Queensland. Fruit plant. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, so but oh yeah, look it's it's just Gardeners it's not need easy. to be vigilant. And Caroline, mm. I'm glad you did get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so am I. Because mm. um I knew something was, was wrong. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was. Actually I put in beds all along that fence. I remember my passion fruit vine, that's gone. It died to nothing. Absolutely no it was it was crisp it was bre it was it was empty on the inside when I pressed it. It had rotted all through the inside of it. That's why I wondered if someone had accidentally touched it with Roundup or well, something. Well, how old was that passion fruit vine? Two or three years old. Okay. Because, you know, they can be short-lived and I'm thinking four years, but two or three yeah. is, yeah, not. Yeah. So something, something had gotten was, into was, that too then. Oh, oh, well, I think uh, there was also a morning glory entangled with it over the fence and I think he wanted to kill his morning glory and he accidentally touched my passion fruit vine. That's what I think happened to it. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it was deliberate. I think it was just he was trying happened. to kill the morning glory. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, but uh, isn't, it, isn't it too early for... Wasp, gall wasp. I thought I read somewhere that they said the sooner you get it to report it to depot or something like that. Uh, you, people should be on the lookout now, mm, and definitely. they should be dealing with it before the end of June. June. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, see, I had this two months. Remember, I, I rang you about two months ago about it. 
Uh, so, yeah, on the lookout for it now. Look for yes. swellings on stems. So that's a good lesson for everybody else out there. <laughs> We've got yes. the bugle playing in the background here. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> But, yeah, I know with the uh, cuttings, I mean, I know you've actually removed your trees, but you can actually put them into your waste till the end of June. After June 30, then you must solarise and put them into plastic bags and solarise them for at least four weeks. Yeah, but, I cut uh, through the galls just yeah. in case that's not enough. I cut right through mm. it so they're completely exposed. Mm. And then I'm solarising them as well because I don't want it spreading everywhere. Because mm. this is oh, it's just heartbreaking. Oh, it is. Well done, Caroline. And yeah. sorry that for your loss. My present. Yeah. I was a present from you all because I got a $75 voucher. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Anyway. Oh, well, you're going to have to win Please. another one, love. I know. I know. We're we'll <laughs> giving right. one away this morning. I should tell you. Thank you very much. All right, Caroline. Take Thanks. care. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. 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 And we're heading to Corrine. We're chatting about a lime tree. Adeline, good morning. Oh, hi. Uh, um, yes, I'm having a problem with my lime tree, which I've had a problem uh, probably for about eight months now. Um, the leaves are all curled uh, and it's um, and the leaves are falling off. Uh, and um, what I've been doing is just putting um, that uh, oil. Um, a white oil? oil? Yeah, the white oil. And, uh, but uh, for the soil, or the only thing I've done is put wetter soil. Um, I've been giving it lots of water. Uh, but um, yeah, it's got a, it looks like a fungus on the branches. It's um, uh, it's sort of white and green. It's um, sort of grown on the branches, uh, and the branches are split. Oh yeah. gosh, uh, are you able to send us a yeah. photo at all? Can do. Okay, that would be good. That that would be helpful. But also, when you go out and have a look, just scrape yeah. back the white. And maybe give it a squeeze between your fingers and see if anything juicy comes out. I'm wondering if it could be mealybug, if it's white okay. and fluffy. Could be mm -hmm. a pest or some sort of scale. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, oh, otherwise, uh, is there anything I can put um, in the soil to uh, sort of give it a bit of a boost? Well, let's work out what is going on First. Um, from the from the signs that you have described. I'd, I'd like to know more before we talk about any treatments. Yeah, okay. So uh, should I be calling you back or will you send me an email? Can you send us a photo? Yeah, okay. And, and we can respond to that. Yeah, all right. So, okay. Adeline, I'm going to put you on hold. Bev will give you yeah. our gardening email, if you like, and yeah. if you could do that yeah. today, that would be beaut, and then Faye okay. can respond. How's that? All right, that's great. Thank, Thank you. Perfect. Okay. okay, thanks, Adeline. Bye. And I'll put Adeline on hold and we head to Warwick. Uh, Gulwasp, you'd like to talk about Rosemary. Uh, good morning, ladies. Morning. Morning. Um, look, I tried to take this photo the other day and I'm hopeless. I'm 72 and you have to use a tablet and, it's, you know, you end up taking your thumb instead of the picture. Um <laughs> There's this, uh, it was a huge, obviously it was a wasp, and it was it probably in the old terms, it was at least oh, half an inch, three quarters of an inch long, but it had the most glorious um, golden, bronzy coloured uh, legs and antennae. And it was just, you know, and I thought, oh, this is wonderful. But hearing the talking about the gall wasp, I thought, 
What does the gall wasp? No, not at all, Rosemary. You you won't see a gall wasp. They're very tiny. Well, you might, but you'd have to be looking. Anything anything that is as big as you describe sounds like one of the flower wasps, of which there are many. And they are. They're attractive. They can look scary if you are already frightened of wasps, but they're beneficial. So I'd I'd say it was flower wasp. Flowers. It was, uh, I really, um, I mean, it was hanging around probably for about oh, five minutes, but the sun was directly on where it, it was sort of landing and also it landed on the brickwork. And I thought, oh, I'm trying to get, but it, it was just, and I'm not afraid of wasps or bees or anything like that because, you know, you attack it, it will, it, it yes, will defend agreed. it. Yes, um, agreed. Um, so I was watching it and uh, I couldn't quite, being semi-blind, I couldn't quite get what it. It almost looked uh, like a red back on the on the what do I call it the the proboscis or whatever the, the back section of the the abdomen. The abdomen. I didn't know if there was a special name. Yeah, I, the I tell you what, we need to go to a break. So, if you just keep listening, um, yep. we can finish up the call and move on. And Paul and I can talk about this after. After the break. Terrific. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, Rosemary. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye Bye for now. And we're back. And, of course, we will be going to the news uh, very soon at 9 a.m. Now, we were just talking off air about that phone call and the wasp that you think uh, that the lady may have seen. And you think, Paul, it might have been one of the spider wasps. Yeah, looking Mm. for a caterpillar. There's quite a few around at the moment, and they are quite striking, orange and black mainly, but um, there are a few different varieties. I noticed yesterday when I was watering, there were a lot of paper wasps hanging around. Uh, I guess that they were there for the water, but certainly in and out of the the guava tree that we've got looking for caterpillars, Mm. and they're... They've got some yellow and orange and brown in them. They're, okay. they're quite pretty if you look at oh, their yeah. faces up close. Yeah, yeah, okay. They're not normal, normally solitary, though. No, those ones they're, aren't. No, yeah. And they can be aggressive it, if you yeah. get near their nest, if yeah. you interfere with their nest. Okay, now just give out, I know that uh, listeners are interested in getting a sample from Seaperia. If you go to their website, you can easily uh, access your sample uh, from them. It's just seaperia.com and that's spelled S-E-A-P-E-R-I-A dot com. And uh, have a bit of a browse through the website and uh, see how you can get your sample sent across to you. Uh, easy peasy. Okay, what's next, guys? Well, sitting right next to me, I have a lovely display box with uh, about 10 large moths in here. And, Paul, I'd like you to explain to our listeners what we've got here and why why well, we should be careful of them. Oh, no need to be careful of them. They're <laughs> completely harmless. Yeah. Um, these are all local what we call rain moths or ghost, ghost moths. Um, a family of moths called the Hepialidae. There are lots and lots of species amongst this group. Um, these really big ones, they're called Abantiades. Well, these are like as big as my hand, and I, I'm yeah, not joking when I put my hand across 
it goes from That's one... 22 or 23 centimetre Wow. They're like birds when they come in at night. Wow. I run a powerful light out in the forest in the pouring rain at this mm. time of year. And sometimes there's hundreds that'll come into the light. They're like a flock of birds. So we've we've recently had our very first rains. Yeah. Have I missed them, Paul? Oh, no. They'll no? go on until end of May, early June. So a night with pouring rain, not just any other night? No. No? Okay. No, the best nights are when it's absolutely bucketing down. Um, I've experienced it oh, nine or ten times now in different places. The so, first time up in uh, Millstream in the Pilbara, um, there was a violent storm. Oh, give us a switch. So I'm guessing when we get our next lot of rain, then people can, can go out. Do they, if they turn on their house lights, their driveway lights or outside lights, etc., are they likely to see oh, them? Yes, you'll see um, odd ones, yeah. But an area rich in eucalyptus trees. You yes. Know, the, the, um, I go up to Glen Eagle quite often and I've had some magnificent nights there, especially with these. And you see a few dozen of those coming out. Yeah. And these are the That's, the green patterned ones. And I've yeah. seen a couple of people starting to post on the insects right. Facebook yeah. page. They're, of so, recent. they're so colourful that... Um, People are quite intrigued. So what sort of plants are they attracted to? This particular group, they're called Anetus. They feed on Taxandria, whereas most of the large Abantiades feed on eucalypt. And what they do when they come out of the ground in the rain... Climb, climb up something, expand their wings, dry their wings and fly off. Um, usually when the female comes out, the males will pounce on her before she's even expanded her wings. Mm. But within 30 minutes, she's flying around squirting eggs all over the ground. Oh, wow. As she's flying among the eucalypt trees. The larvae feed on rotting vegetation and um, uh, fungi on the ground for the first few weeks and then burrow into the ground and end up feeding on the roots of the eucalypt. Do they feed at night or in the daytime? No, well, mainly at night. Okay. But they burrow into the ground, they can go down quite a long way and maybe spend two, three, five years in the ground. Oh, goodness. Feeding on the roots of eucalypt. They come out in the rain the males will only live for a night. They've got to pair up. That's why. Gee, that's tragic, isn't it? It is. One yeah. night. It's a bit like <laughs> mayflies. They'll spend years oh, underground dear, and then it's all over in one night. Oh, my goodness. The females, sometimes two or three nights, she'll, um, hmm. she'll just carry on laying a quarter of a million eggs. Oh, goodness <laughs> me. All right. And very, very small eggs for the size of the, uh, the insect. Yeah, for the yeah. size of the but animal. But she's, she's got a big, fat body. Is <laughs> it cool? Typical right. of females. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Nine o'clock news. It's 19.6. Gee, we've <clears throat> jumped up quite a bit already uh, and we're heading for a sunny maximum of 30. Tomorrow, the temperature range will be 15 to 28. It will be sunny. And on Monday, the range will be 15 to 20 and showers are coming up to six mils promised for Monday and our rainfall so far for 
April is sitting on 30.2 mils. We'll obviously be improving that in the next week with a little bit of rain that is promised. And also looking at the humidity, that's dropped down actually to 45%. Do things move around, jump around with the weather? Hour to hour, it's interesting. Absolutely. (laughs) I can see you're really interested. I, Ray, you know, I'm multitasking here. I know. (laughs) Um, Because John's come in with a flood of emails, so I'll just tackle a couple if I may, please. Um, This is from Peter in Greenwood, and he says, Good morning. Have a young lemon tree which was in the garden but damaged by a storm. So he's cut it right back and put it into a large pot where it's been for six months. It's still alive and still green but has not grown a bit. So no leaves have sprouted. I hate to throw it away, but how long should I persevere? Well, I wish I had a crystal ball, Peter. But what I would do with a plant like this, it's obviously gone into shock and it's been damaged. But as you say, still alive. I would put that pot out into the garden somewhere, um, perhaps where it's getting, whether it's retic or rains and I will just leave it and forget about it. If you had a shade house, I'd say put it in the shade house yeah. uh, for the next few months and before you know it, that, that tree will probably sprout come springtime. But just as as long as it's in good potting mix uh, and that's not exhausted, I, I think it's just a case of patience. So we shall see on that one. Uh, Richard, title is Bird of Paradise. It's taken two years for my bird of paradise to open up with, wow, yellow flowers. I'd like to ask, what do I feed it to improve to open more blooms? Disclaimer, I am not a gardener. Love your shows. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like you're doing the right thing, Richard. Mm. And quite often these will just power away and without anything they will perform. You can always give flowering plants extra potassium or sulfate of potash but really I would just recommend a controlled fertilizer for flowering and fruiting plants that's easy and do that probably autumn and spring I think is enough and uh, they certainly have a spectacular flower fabulous in a vase as we know oh it it is Mm -hmm. just lovely to be able to pick flowers and put them in a vase (laughs) isn't it or foliage yeah (laughs) um here is another photo of a multi-legged critter. Good morning, Rain Faye. I found this in our bathroom this morning and wondered what it might be. Thanks for a great program. This is from Manny, and I just love this photo. I'm so jealous. A house. A house centipede. Yeah. I want one. I got a picture <laughs> of a really colourful one that I found in uh, Dwelling Up oh. a few months back. Yeah. Uh, I love it. It's... It's not They're your awesome. normal centipede, no, that's right. long legs and um, a squatter body. And they move very fast, they I do. believe. I'm yet to see one. Oh. <laughs> well, in real life, I yeah. want to find yeah. one at my place and I haven't yet. <laughs> you but will. I, I think you're really lucky. It's on my bucket list. <laughs> not probably everyone's bucket no. list, but I would love to find a house centipede. I don't know why they call them house centipedes because they're out in the forest as well. Yeah, yeah. of course. And I think in... Um, yeah, in that understory, in low to the ground, under bark. The leaf litter, yeah. Mm. And I guess, you know what, I think more people will probably start finding these at this time of year because it's colder, we're getting ready for fire season and oh. when you bring in wood from outside, you, there's a chance that you'll bring in 
centipedes, millipedes, mm. slime mold. Mm. All That's those so, exciting so things. So subject, the fire season. Oh, Burning off, yeah. It's like coming through a fog this morning. Yeah. Again. Because yeah. you've come from Safety Bay area? No, no, south of Mandurah. <gasps> one you've come such a long way. Yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you, Paul. <laughs> yes, we're, we're very, very blessed to have yeah. you here. So yeah. how did your fascination in moths start? Oh, um, I was probably seven or eight years old. I was interested in gardening back then. I started with cacti in the greenhouse, but... It gradually grew. Uh, I got friendly with an old guy in a local nursery who sort of took me under his wing. I used to go and help him pot up and prick out and what have you, but he was a real collector of moths. Oh. And under the bench in the warm greenhouse, there were three moths that had just emerged. Oh. I couldn't believe. Beautiful pink and mauve, what they call the elephant hawk moth that he'd reared course asking all the questions and one thing another one thing led to another he showed me his collection and I badgered him for a couple of years for him to take me out collecting where he runs a mercury vapor light you know um, he relented eventually when his friend that he used to go with couldn't go and he took me with him and I'll never forget it we went to a place called Pickering in Yorkshire uh, oh, this is light. back in England. Back in England. Oh, yeah, goodness. Yeah. Um, ran the light, and there's all these moths came in. Tiger moths, I particularly remember. Never seen anything like it. It was oh. a really good night, so there were plenty around. And I've been hooked ever since, basically. Wow. But the re- I enjoy the rearing side of it. You know, mm. you get a female of a sort of a, one of the larger moths, a more spectacular moths. And. Um, rear them from an egg to an adult and you have done a world first and this yeah well this particular moth is one of the anetus rain moths i um i collected the female on a rainy night in first week in april back in 2017 i think it was um it was a good night there must have been 60 or 70 of these female moths came in. No males, just the females. And I brought a couple back with me, uh, which laid eggs. And I thought, I've got to have a go at rearing these. So but it's, it's a very strange life story with these. But but let's go back to the females were out, but you say no males. Yeah, so it's just that, that's the way it is with these particular moths. Oh, you, they you don't need a get, male to fertilise oh, yeah, their eggs? Yeah, they do. What happens, the female comes out gives off pheromones, the male picks up the scent and straight in and services the female. Um, and it happens quite quickly. Okay. And you uh, miss and that And the females, <laughs> well, there's so much foliage there, you, you know, you, you, you couldn't find them. They duck the cover. You really know what you're looking for. Um, but they've got a, an interesting life story. Nobody's ever raised one of these particular Anita species from an egg to an adult Mm. because what happens the female lays eggs flying around the food plant squirting the eggs on the ground the the eggs hatch they feed on um, leaf litter and fungi for the first three months and then they wander around in on a wet night looking for the food plant which in that case was um, uh, a 
a plant that grows on the coast, on the limestone coast, called um, uh, Myporum insula. Yeah. Um, she climbs up the stem, bores a little hole in the stem, and makes what they call a vestibule around the whole circumference of the stem. She has a little tunnel she lives in and she feeds on the sap coming up through the plant. I heard, I'd, I'd read somewhere that they, they feed on fungi, um, which is easy to get in the form of mushrooms. So mm -hmm. I, I got some French, um, no, Swiss brown mushrooms. <laughs> nice. Slice them up. Some rotten bark, very soft, spongy bark, and put that round the base of the plant. Eventually, the caterpillars, they took to the mushroom like ducks to water. Oh, great. Fed up for approximately three months. Then on a very wet night, they start wandering off and um, they walk up the stem of the plant and do their thing. And they, they make this sort of a balloon vestibule around the trunk. Yep. And that's where they reside until they're ready to hatch the following year. Now, <laughs> I managed to get them through. And after in the end of the first year, the first week in April, the first ones came out. And during the growth period, I took hundreds of pictures. Um, and I just, I was hoping to catch one of the females or the males coming out of the um, cocoon, uh, the vestibule. Um, and I spent hours and hours watching. <laughs> uh, they come out at dusk. So oh. I managed to get a three-second <gasps> shot of a female popping out of the um, chrysalis and climbing up the stem. Oh, wow. But I took lots and lots of pictures. It's called Anitas genese. And the, um, a guy came over from the UK, from the British Museum. He wrote a book on ghost swifts and... Australian epialids and um, he named that particular species after his wife Janese. yeah nice fellow we took him out a friend That's of mine fascinating. Yeah. we took him out to uh, a couple of places where when he came over here doing his research and um, he, he caught a few of this particular one hydrographers um, he's now curator of a museum in Sweden, I think. Wow. Now tell me, like for our, our gardeners out there, if this moth was in the stem of one of their plants, will it harm the plant? Uh, funnily enough, it doesn't. You okay. Know, we, we, since then, I've been um, up to Jury and this particular spot where all these females came in um, looking for vestibules and the once you've found the first one, they're quite easy to find. And they found down the coast, right down, right around the coast to Esperance, limestone coast. In fact, there's a new one turned up between Albany and Esperance, which um, we're working on at the moment. A new what? A new moth? A new species of this particular moth that feeds on um, the same food plant. Myoporum. Yeah. They're, they're mm. quite easy to find. Once you've found the first one, it, it, it's such an obvious, like a big balloon in so, made of sawdust. Yes, yes. I've, I've seen, well, on different plants, um, acacias, for example, and sometimes I've found that bore a hole with the pupil case left there when 
Yeah, that's Something more similar. likely in the acacia, it's more likely to be a cossid moth than anything else. Okay. And some of those get as big as these. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so my okay. dream was real. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, listeners, don't forget uh, you can call in uh, with your gardening questions, 94841927. I have a $75 gift voucher to give away from Green Life Soil Co. Now, we're talking about potatoes this morning because apparently – they're quite difficult to get hold of, seedling potatoes. And I was chatting with Linda yesterday and she mentioned that they do have some. Uh, they have the Laura variety, which is Delaware and Dutch cream. She told me that for some reason the farmer bagged them together, so it is a bit of a lucky dip. They are certified organic from Manjumup and they also have the Prince of Orange, which is spray-free from near Northcliffe. And they also have Royal Blue Kipfler, my absolute favourite, bit of butter, salt and pepper, perfection. They have the Neptune and they're conventionally farmed from Manjumup. Now, they also have a limited amount of certified Organic purple striped garlic available, but she did say you have to be quick. Now, they can also arrange postage if you have difficulty getting out to Green Life Soil Co. Uh, you can chat directly with Linda and Paul or browse greenlifesoil.com.au. Delivering a greener garden is their motto. So, yep, they've got some seedling potatoes if that interests you. Here's your question. You must be the third fall caller through with the right answer. It's a true or false. So we'll take the third caller through and we will send you a $75 gift voucher from Green Life Soil Co. this week. True or false, bonsai originated in China. True or false, bonsai originated in China. Now, please, you must be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. 94841927. We will be back in just a moment. Curtin Radio. 21 minutes after nine, you're tuned to Let's Talk Gardening and Jim Crinan will be joining you at 10am with the Classic 70s. Now, we do have a winner for our Green Life Soil Co. voucher, Rosemary of City Beach. Good on you, Rosemary. Voucher will be on its way to you this week. The question was, true or false, bonsai originated in China? The answer is true. It actually took 300 years to reach Japan. Interesting. Goodness me. Okay, carry on. We live and learn, don't we, we Ray? We do, we do. Uh, I'll just... Um, cover a couple of emails Mary has written in and she would like to know about planting leucospermum into a new bed on Monday and was wondering if she should feed them up with some seaweed a day or so before she plants them what I would suggest is to soak the pot in a bucket of water with seaweed in it before planting so you you put the pot that you're going to plant into the bucket sometimes you'll see air bubbles come out and what that does by by letting it soak you fully soak the whole plant sometimes yeah. the potting mix can be dry very much so i've mm. been finding lately so mm. dig your hole just with your hand spade or, or shovel just give it a swirl around and put water into that hole so it makes like a planting slurry uh, I guess if you're improving your soil, dig all that through as well. The thing is, because we're planting a lot at in autumn and we can be revegetating, we can be planting local species into our sandy soils. So by digging that hole, pouring in water and making a slurry, you're preparing that hole and then hopefully the rains will just take care of it for the mm. next few months. Mm. But once you've done that, you've set your your plant up, up. and yeah. I also make a little well around a little basin so that when it does rain it just 
has somewhere to, to where sit it needs to and go. the roots get wet. And mm. hopefully we'll get the rains through to like we did last year, October, November. Yeah, it'd be lovely. Mm. Yes. So there we go. So planting local species because, well, why would we? Well, it attracts our native pollinators and wildlife mm. and supports our ecosystem. So what are some of the best plants for for attracting moths? And I guess moths are also frog, food for frogs, which we've talked about recently. Well, <coughs> the moths do an awful lot of pollinating at night. Mm. Um, a lot of people wouldn't appreciate that. But the, the micro-moths, the very tiny, you know, one-centimetre wingspan sort of thing, um, they do a hell of a lot of pollinating. Um, the big ones, yeah, Budlia is attractive yes. to the moths, just like the butterflies. I mean, yes. I've got mm. a couple of Budlias in the garden. It's amazing what, um, what they attract. Obviously, the monarch. Um, in fact, it, it was very strange. We moved to one, one and up sort of three years ago. The first year, uh, I planted a budlier in the back, forever seeing these Australian painted ladies visiting. Yes. And you had a bit of a keen photographer to a picture of quite a few of them. And one turned up one day, and I thought, nah, can't be. It was the... English, the European painted oh, lady, goodness. which hadn't been seen for about 30 years. It, oh. There used to be a small colony around Bunbury, and I think a few turned up in Fremantle, but it hadn't been seen for 30 years. It was thought to be extinct, and there it was in my garden. And I got a couple of perfect pictures of oh, it, just as proof. That's yeah. amazing. And, you know, that you just mentioned the word extinct, and this is a very important factor, you know, the work that you're doing uh, brings to to life w- what is out there. You know, moths are so underrated, really. Yeah. As, as you said, they're pollinators. <clears throat> uh, and, you know, we get questions from people all the time. Oh, I've got caterpillars in my garden. What can I kill them with? Well, we have to be very careful because some of those caterpillars are not harmful to our to our veggies they're because not. they're specialist feeders. And they're a food source to birds, um, other insects, um, lizards, lizards, yeah, frogs, skinks, and the, what have you? Yeah, frogs especially. Oh, mm. up in the Kimberley, oh, ten ten days at Kananara, right, collecting moss. Used that as a the centre point and went off different places, Elquestro and what have you. But the cane toads were unbelievable. Oh. Every single time we put up a light. In Cadenara? Yeah. Yeah, they're coming down. Oh, mm. this was in as far over as Broome as well. Yeah. yeah. It's terrible. Damn And things. they're massive. Some of them are so oh, big. They're gross. Gross. Yeah. Gruesome, yeah. I was trying and to say, and I got out. <laughs> yeah. They're awful, um, is what it, I'll say. It, it, it really <laughs> did surprise me. Yeah. Another thing, we're talking about leaf litter and what have you. You know when they do these burn-offs, the fires, that takes all the leaf litter away as well. Um, And that is a vital food resource for so many things. It's not funny. And they've been burning off in some of the places I go to. They'll do it two or three times in five years and... There's nothing left. No. Not the moths that I used to find common. There's nothing there. So, Paul, for some of us, gum leaves are the bane of our life. You know, they're 
we've introduced them to our properties or they yeah, were they yeah. were there so they didn't belong there before no. are they of as much benefit as as you say or you know oh yeah the biggest problem with eucalypt um, leaves is they take such a long time to rot down mm. they rot down much quicker with uh, lots of water mm. and a bit of lime um, and that's when they become beneficial. Ah, oh, okay. But there's a lot of oil in eucalypts, and I think that's what um, what makes them live so long, if you like, as a dead leaf. So maybe sprinkling around a little bit of lime, a yeah. little bit of maybe pelletised chicken manure to oh, help yeah. them break yeah. down quicker. Yeah, yeah. And then just leaving any, them, just any leaf accepting. It's good mm. because there are so many things that use it as. Um, cover mm. i try and look at them in a positive light and sometimes i'll take photos and you know call it the forest floor because there's so much oh. that that makes up <laughs> the, the burn of the my ground. life at the moment <laughs> like a blooming great eucalyptus tree in the front that sheds its bark and that's far worse than um leaves <laughs> and you used to be the clivia man too didn't oh, you yeah, oh clivia ray clivia yes <laughs> clivia oh sorry yes, yes. we've had this yes. um, do you discussion still, before we have do you still have any <laughs> oh yeah, yeah you still have a passion the, for them the i haven't got a very big garden now no um gardening's not my favorite pastime to be honest okay. seems to be too much weeding well oh, yeah. and, clivia's and are fantastic aren't they and, yeah. because they don't require oh, they much can no. Can I be cheeky enough to ask you how we, how and when we should feed them and yeah. divide them? Well, feed them once a month, December, January, February, even March. Um, preferably with a fertiliser high in potassium. Yes. Um, that's about it. Feed them, give it, give them slow release. I used to use. You put on if, if you get the three month one. Yes. Do it twice, one January and then again in March. Okay. Um, because that that promotes the flowering. Um, too much nitrogen and all you get is leaf. Yeah. They do like filtered sun or early morning or late afternoon sun. They don't like the heat of the day. No, WA mm. sunshine mm, is too much. Um, it's a killer for. They tend mm. to burn. They're actually they do recover. They do pretty well under gum trees. Oh, they do. They're mm. fabulous. Yeah. And yeah. they the green of their wide strappy leaves looks fantastic, and the gum leaves just build up yeah. around them. And a stunning splashy colour when they do come out. Yeah. And when will be their flowering time? If we've uh, done everything right. September, October, mm. springtime. Yeah. 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 Okay. Perfect. Now sometimes late winter. It depends. It, mm. This last. Well, five or ten years, the weather's upside down here. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's either a month mm. early or a month late, it Correct. seems. Uh, yeah. So it's quite yeah. unpredictable. Yeah. Like the rain. Is. Yes. Yeah. We've got two open gardens coming up next weekend. They're both in Beaconsfield. Something to put down in your diary. Okay. Now, uh, one garden. Oh, they're actually very close together. Number three and number seven. Smith Street, Beaconsfield, two open gardens for you to go and have a look at uh, next weekend on the Saturday and the Sunday. Okay, so I have limited information, but they're sustainable gardens and 
there's artwork, sculpture and plants are for sale. You can get a lot more information by going to opengardenswa.org. Okay, so there's sustainable gardens to look at number three and number seven in Smith Street, Beaconsfield. That's next weekend. Uh, two small gardens. It's uh, $12 to get in. Under 18s are free. And if you're a member, it's $10 uh, per garden as well. So that's next weekend. Put that in your diaries on Saturday and Sunday. Sounds great. Yeah, going to be starting. busy weekend. It's starting, yeah. Um, uh, permission to have next Saturday off, please, Ray. I'm going to my grandmother's 101st birthday in wow. Donnybrook. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, so that's one not to be missed. No, absolutely. Another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, mm. no. Now, speaking of rains, uh, another email has come in, and this is from Gloria. She said her paving is under attack attack with ants digging up what can i use to stop this and why is this happening well the reason is because that the ants are getting busy because of the rains coming and i did actually hear and i'm not sure what the truth is but you can tell how much rain you're getting by how big the ants build their their nests around yeah, oh really so, yeah. Mm, yeah. so when ants are very active they know that the rain's coming and they're preparing so this is why they're busy now mm. because they're they're getting ready I've so noticed. ants in the paving uh what can we use as deterrents some some of the natural oils like citronella can help repel them the thing about ants though is they're they're very resourceful and yeah. once you kill an ant's nest um the other thing about them is that the ants' nests are all connected. And so you kill one and there's a queen with hundreds, but then they move back in. So it's it can be hard work. There are granules that you can use to put down. We've talked about uh, one of the products called Pest Expert, yeah. which has a very effective active ingredient and works in two ways. One is a bait and... Um, it's it's a multi-purpose ant poison, but that can work very well in your paving. But it's knowing which ant, isn't it? Remember we went through that. You've got to have the right to target the ants that mm. you have. You do need to get a sample of your ant. Yes, and <laughs> to do that, straightforward. <laughs> to do that, you would get a piece yeah. of sticky tape, yeah. and you would get the ant, and you would put it on piece of white paper and you'd put them in the freezer because yes. deep herd don't Do like want. getting mm. struggling wriggling ants in the mail <clears throat> right, right. and you send your sample off to them they are barren hay court in south perth so that's deep herd or paddis pest and disease information service they will identify your ant and provide you with a solution that's the most effective way isn't it ray yeah. we worked out yeah yeah, we worked mm. out the hard there way. Are so many species. So well, yeah. and many of them are introduced. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yes. I didn't, initially I didn't want to use anything. But when I realised that there are these pest ants that come in and they upset the biota. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, you know, people say, oh, flood the area. They don't like water. Well, I tell you what, they do something underground to that soil that makes it water repellent. And yeah. I'm sure they have all these underground caves. And you can flood that area. But you you can't overcome their no. sticky secretions that make all these little tunnels. Yeah. And, you know, after fire, they are one of the first things to move back in. Yeah. But they're very important because they will move around seeds. And one of their food sources is the 
Eliastomes. I've probably said it wrong. It's a protein source that's attached to seeds and they put that in their nest. So after fire and after rains, etc., these seeds are protected in their nest. The rains come and boom, they germinate. Mm. So, you yeah. know, they're, they're very underrated. Resourceful yeah. little critters. Yes. And there's a whole city going on <laughs> underneath the ground. Oh, there's yeah, yeah, Atlantis, the yeah. lost oh, world. There's yeah. so much out there that people don't know. There's lots of things to be discovered yet, especially yes. in WA because... Uh, it's such a big place and there are not many people that are that interested to no. the world. Well, so, there is you know. a even a Facebook group for WA Ant fans and all these ant enthusiasts get uh, yeah. together and they have meetups and they grow colonies. Like you can get ant farms for kids. Yeah, I used um, to have those. Did you? <laughs> yeah. oh, I've got one ready to go. Mm. I'm just not sure where to start. Mm. But having realised that there are so many different ants, when I find an ant, I always take its photograph yeah. to work out who we've got and learn more about them. And we're taking gardening calls. Of course we are. 94841927. Let's talk about anything going on in your garden. Uh, answers that you would like. Faye is here and we also have our specialist in the studio with us this morning, Paul Kay, our Mothman as well. I think I'm going to give away because I can see that there's an opportunity. Our other $75 gift voucher. This one is from Bigger Trees. I'll do it now so that gives, otherwise we tend to bottleneck things and push, push Bev to the nth degree, poor lady. This one is from obviously Bigger Trees, our good friend Kerry up there in Pickering Brook and she tells me that it's extremely busy at the moment and she's getting around to ordering her bare rooted trees and it's never ending so it's just so, uh, what's the word, autumn is a very vibrant time for, for gardening and for nurseries. Well something kicks in in us that yeah. something kicks in and we just get the urge yeah. to to plant to yeah have yeah. it all. Rain moths up in Pickering Brook, yeah. <laughs> ideal country. Is it so? Okay, yeah. that's interesting. But uh, bigger trees is WA's leading frangie supplier, also specialising in ornamental and fruit trees, and they have an enormous range of plants. Always getting new deliveries coming in each week, building and building and building on their their selection is enormous. Uh, it's a beautiful nursery just even to go up there and just have a wander around a great a great drive in the afternoon or morning on a weekend whenever you've got time. She's open Thursday through to Sundays and uh, she's got a Facebook page. You can check that out by going to Bigger Trees. Their website is biggertrees.com.au and there's lots of uh, interesting uh, things for you to look at on, on their website as well. Now, here is the question. Here is John's question. This one is going to be a little bit more tricky, so you need to be on your toes, listeners. Not to have won a prize in the last 28 days and must be a Curtin FM member. Here's the question. Fiddler on the Roof was a fabulous musical. And from the lyrics, If I Were a Rich Man, what four things would Topol fill his yard with? I'll say that again because it is a little bit long-winded. Fiddler on the Roof. It was a fabulous musical. We all remember it. Lyrics from If I Were a Rich Man. Great song. What four things would Topol fill his yard with? What four things would Topol fill his yard with? Okay, see how you go. Give Bev a call on 94841927 to win that $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees. Compliments of Kerry. Okay, we shall carry on. What will we talk about now? 
Well, I can have a break if you like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you can get your gather your thoughts, Faye. Thank you. All right. 100.1 Okay, you're with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening and our special guest in the studio with us today, Paul Kay. He's our moth man. Now, we do have a winner for our gift voucher from Bigger Trees, Olga of Ascot. Good on you, Olga. That's going to make its way to you this week. Let us know what you do with it. Now, our listeners are way too clever. I really thought we would stump you. Uh, Lord knows I was stumped when I when John sends his questions through to us. I always look at that and go, no, we'll never get that. <laughs> the phone's just lit up. Everyone had the answer. So the question was, Fiddler on the Roof was a fabulous musical. The lyrics, if I were a rich man, what four things would Topol fill his yard with? The answer is chicks, turkeys, geese and ducks. Perfect. I'd fill my yard with chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks for the town to see and hear, squawking just as noisily as they can, with each loud cheap squawk, honk and quack, would land like a trumpet on the ear as if to say, here lives a wealthy man. So that was how they regarded So wealth. that's, yes, with animals, livestock, yeah. because they will produce, they will give you meat, they will give you eggs, mm. you'll have feathers, you'll have manure, so sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, oh, we're all awesome. wealthy and we just simply don't always realise it, do we? Mm. You know, because it depends how you regard wealth and success for that matter. All right. We're heading to Chewett Hill. Anne, good morning. How are you? Good morning. morning. I've got a question about... Good morning. This is Anne. I've got a question about lemon tree. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. I was given... Um, a lemon tree in a pot about four years ago and I kept it in a pot for a while. Then I put it in the ground. We put it in the ground, my husband and I. And over the summer, it got lots of water. It gets regular fertiliser, but the leaves uh, progressively just seem to fall off it. I've only got one leaf left on it. It's got a green stem, but I'm worried that I might lose it unless I find out what is going on with mm. it. What sort of soil preparation did you do, Anne? Right. Well, there was compost put in the soil, um, watered all that in, um, iron chelate. Uh, my husband's prompting me here because he, he did a lot of it. Sea soil, and I put wetter soil on recently um, in despair, thinking, and I put it in. Um, when the rains came. And so I don't know what to do about it. It's it's just basic sand, but it's had compost, had thrive, it's had all sorts of um, other fertilisers put in. I think we've even got Sabrina Hahn's um, formula um, and sprayed that around at times. So your, your garden in Chewett Hill, is the... The garden are the garden beds um, well prepared, or are you back to sandy soil? Well, they're well prepared with compost and mulch and um, fertilisers, thrive and other ones for fruit okay. trees for fruiting. Are there large trees around and root competition? We've got a large grapefruit tree nearby and a large. Um, mandarin tree they've been in for years and they're they're huge okay so when this the hole was dug uh i imagine it was twice the size of the pot 
and the compost yes. was added to the hole and then dug through so that it was half and yes. half with the soil around it? Yes. Okay, and the tree was put in and as long as it wasn't root-bound, then it, it should establish. Yeah, why, and it why? seemed to be going quite well for a while, but then in recent year, you know, over the last year, it's progressively seems to have lost. It's still got a green leaf on it. Only one? A lot of leaves, yes. Mm. And I was counting, I had two about a, a week or so back. One of them looked pretty weak and now it's only got one. All right. So it's it's had the opportunity with everything mm. thrown at it in mm. hopefully ap applied appropriately and not overdosed. I think okay. if I was you, I would be tempted to pull it up out of the ground and have a look at the roots if you can't yes. see anything visible above. Now, in doing that, I'm assuming that you will see something like it may not have got its roots out of the shape of the pot. You know, they might just okay. be going yep. round and round. It might have been in the pot for too long. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah, or otherwise the the hole might be too wet. Like you'll pull it up and the roots have rotted and it's just all muddy and it might even smell. All right. Terrible, yeah. So right. I think do that. I don't think you've got much to lose, Anne but it might no. tell you what's going on. That's right. And then would you um, make any other recommendations if the roots look okay? Mm, well, to just do that first and then get back okay. to me. Okay? All right. And we'll take it Very from much. there. All right. I look forward to next Saturday and I might bring you through again. <laughs> or Thank call you. us back in 10 minutes. If you can do it oh, now. I'm in the car at the oh, moment. Okay. I can't do it now. Yep. Yeah. All right. Thank I'll wait to hear much. from you. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Anne. Cheers. Let's head to Stratton and we're talking about ooh, ooh, onion weed. Mm. Lynn, good morning. Hi. Good morning. Yes, I'm good. That's... Would you like, to tell, like me to tell you about my problem? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon everyone's got it at the moment. Um, onion weed and it's very small and what's happened is I have completely stripped everything out of the at, well there was only rubbish really there wasn't really much of a garden at all and I've stripped them bare and of course I've got sand um, it's obviously got some organic matter in it because it, it's kind of like that blacky colour and I took a sample to um, the local Green Life Thorco, and they said the pH was um, fine. Um, they didn't tell me much more, but that's what they told me. Okay. And they said that there was some organic matter through it. But obviously it's pretty, to me, it takes water because I've dug in places to see if it's damp underneath. So it doesn't seem to be too much of a problem as far as the water aspect of it. But I'm about to try and plant and I've got all this onion weed popping mm. up everywhere. And I was just wondering, since I don't, it's such a huge area because it's the front and the back. And I was thinking maybe the only option for me is to smother it 
like I've got no plants in there, but at least if I put down cardboard and probably drop mulch on top, when it comes to planting, I'm probably just going to have to pull the mulch aside. Uh, okay, Lynn. Have you got any other Well, um, I'll just give you a couple of questions first. The flower colour, is it purple or white? There is no flower at the moment. It's kind of like really short baby type of... All right. I'm wondering if this is the Guildford grass that has little bulbs. Well, a lot of... There are different different weeds called onion weed. So uh, has it got a flat leaf or... A round leaf. Or round leaf and quite tough. Um, it seems to be, well, well, I mean, it's so small. Okay, like all right. Like it's popped up in the millions. I, so where could I identify that? Uh, you could send us a photo and pull one up and have a look at what the bulb looks like. But um, what I'm thinking is depending on what you want to plant, for example, if you wanted to plant a native garden, then prepare your holes, put your plant in and... Give it an area that's like 30 centimetres clear for your plant and then in between smother with cardboard and mulch. And if you do that, you should be able to manage most of it, I would think. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's one way of doing it because ultimately if you were doing natives, they would grow up and they would fill a space and they would cover the, this grass that's underneath and filling the gaps with cardboard or thick layers of newspaper soaked in a a seaweed and then placed on the soil with mulch over the top will also be a big help. Okay, all right. Well, we're we're in a really windy, windy area. So I I think it's easier for me because I'm 72 years old. so, So I think it's easier for me to put down cardboard Mm-hmm. You know, instead of fighting with trying to hold down this um, newspaper and going to an extra effort of soaking it with the, um, what do you say, seaweed stuff? Yeah, because um, then it doesn't blow away. Okay. Well, I'd still rather go down the avenue of of cardboard because yeah, fine. <laughs> you can get free cardboard from everywhere. Yes, and, yes. Um, yeah. So what you're saying to me is if I take a photo, you might be able to identify that. Yes. Show me all the parts of the plant that you can. We'll put you back to Bev. She can give you the address and we can move on. But I'd I'd love to hear more from you at another time, Lynn. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I'm putting you to Bev. Thanks, Lynn. Okay. All right. We shall be back in a moment. Thank you for your company this morning. You're tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. Now, Let's Talk Gardening was sponsored today by Garden in a Bag. Free delivery when buying six bags or more. All right. Now, let me see. I'll throw it over to you guys. You're going to talk about oh, why children should... getting kids involved. Yeah. Become At entomologists. Yeah. yeah. Um, why I mean, is that when important, I Paul? Well, <laughs> It's an interest that should be nurtured for sure for coming years. You know, I mean, there's so many scientists um, 
getting too old and falling off the perch and there's not enough people coming through coming through and it'll only get worse if um the kids are not involved in what a na- great anything career. to do with nature yeah I mean, like get school, them off their computers when, when oh. i was at school there used to be what they call a nature table where yeah. kids are bringing all sorts to find out what mm. what this is and what that is and what have you uh, all um, gone it doesn't happen anymore mm. yeah plus the kids have got far many <laughs> devices far more devices yeah. to um to far too many them. far yeah. too much so it's facebook's a great great thing on specialty subjects like the moths and butterflies insects of southwest wa i mean there's a there's a, a young woman up in jinjin that's got kids and she's encouraged them to go out and they're forever posting up you know interesting things in fact um she's running a light now every night and recording what's what's oh. coming up and the kids have got involved that's fantastic and that's the sort of thing that should be happening mm. well and for, yeah. for a lot of us you know there's a lot of moths out there that we haven't seen before probably not so much for you but when they're posted on groups like facebook someone like you gets the opportunity to look at them yeah. and say oh that's one that hasn't been recorded in that area. Yeah. We're, we're, so, we're so blessed to have this sharing of information, technology and information available at our fingertips. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because um, a young enthusiast found one of the moths that I, I'd reared, the um, Anitas Genesi, turned up in a sink in the kitchen. It was a female. Yeah. Oh. And um, I identified that straight away. I've seen so many of them. Oh, that, that's that good. Was, that was good, and that's relatively local, which is good. It's a new record for, for that. I think one turned up on Rockness last year, and a male, and um, it's all it's all good to get the distribution. You know, if there are more people doing it, we'd know more about these things. Well, and there is a Facebook group for Moths of Western Australia. Oh yeah. Now, what what's a great activity for kids in the holidays to be able to find moths? To go out with a light at night. Um, <laughs> I, I took uh, I took a couple to a place in the Wandoo Forest last week. Funnily enough, on a wet night, um, it's only a young guy. He's about, what seventeen, but he's really keen and keen photographer too. Um, and he wanted to see what uh, what the happy odds were like, you know, on a wet night. And he did, and he saw quite a few things and took them back, took pictures, posted pictures it was good yeah. it's life-changing isn't it because most is. of us when we go camping want fine weather but you know now i'm thinking yeah. okay <laughs> put on the raincoat and get out there with a torch on a wet night and yeah. just see what you can find because yeah. different weather conditions bring out different things oh they do my daughter lived in coral bay for about 10 years she sent me pictures she'd moved to malali up now but um while she was there, we used to go up a few times. She sent a picture of a particular moth on her hand and said, oh, it, we've had so much rain up here, there's moths everywhere. And, and this thing was a, it was quite a rare hawk moth. Oh. I packed my things and drove up there straight <laughs> of away. Of course you did. Yeah. You're obsessed. I ran a light that night and I kid you oh. not, I have never seen as many moths. Mm. Uh, there were so many, mainly hawk moths too, the larger moths but you couldn't see the white sheet for bodies oh. i could have filled and i'm not exaggerating i could have filled a wheelbarrow oh with moss there were so many that night i tell you one of the caterpillars that people are seeing around at the moment feeds on sweet potato leaves 
and that's the Hipposian Celerio. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the one. Go that and night explain in, it. Yeah, that night in Coral Bay, there must have been 10,000 of those. <sighs> like, it, it just The numbers were just phenomenal. And where they come from, because it, it's not exactly... Uh, a lot of vegetation there. It's quite sparse. So that, that caterpillar I'm talking about is long and fat and round and it's got eyes on its backside. Oh, I like that looks those ones. Like yeah. a face. And they can be green, but yeah. they can also oh, be brown. As brown. Well. Yeah. I love the green. Like yeah, yeah, no, they're gorgeous. Yeah. Paul, thank you for yeah. your sharing your knowledge and your passion. Uh, with our listeners this morning. I can see how no absolutely worries. clearly <coughs> obsessed you are. I've said before, if I have a good night out in the forest, counting months, I'm 17 again. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. It's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see what, what gives you such joy. And we, yeah, should get, we all have that in our lives? I get you know, just as big as only wish. of it now than I did when I was a yeah. teenager. Yeah, yeah no, good yeah. on you, Squire. Now, we also chatted earlier today to Liz Atkins from Perrier, and they are giving away free samples of their product to our listeners. All you need to do, if you can, is you could certainly, I imagine, phone them. But if you go to cperrier.com, now Perrier is spelled S-E-A as in C and Peria is P-E-R-I-A dot com. Okay, and I believe they will be giving away uh, as many free samples to as anyone would like uh, listening to the garden show today. So, yeah, go for it, guys. Now, look, thanking Bev and John, as always, behind the scenes helping us out and our very own Faye Akaro. Jim is next with the classic 70s. Do enjoy that. Then we go... Uh, country with Brendan T and Born and Boots from 12 noon. It's Gillian Bush's birthday today too. She's our Sunday breakfast presenter. Big shout out to girls. Good on you. Um, have a beautiful day. You've certainly, the weather gods have turned it on for you, kiddo, and uh, enjoy. All right. Now, my gardenism for the morning is a very short one. Nature never goes out of style. Happy gardening, everyone. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy this weather. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.